This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Not the ideal start to a four-game homestand for the Calgary Flames last night. They dropped the first of four at the Scotiabank Saddle, 4-1 to the defending Stanley Cup champions. And now look ahead to a Saturday afternoon matchup with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Welcome to Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's Logan Gordon along with you on this Thursday afternoon. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios in Calgary, Alberta. With the fantastic production team of Cam and Taylor with us this afternoon. Got a busy program coming your way. We'll chat with Peter Labardius in just moments here to react to what we saw last night at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Later this hour, we'll check in with Sam Cosentino of Sportsnet. Get some league-wide reaction from Sam, who's been on the desk on a couple of Sportsnet broadcasts, including last night. Plus his latest prospect rankings up at sportsnet.ca. Spoiler alert, I can tell you who is number one, and you can probably guess it yourself. Then in hour two, uh, speaking of Saturday's game with the Calgary Flames and the Tampa Bay Lightning, that is a part of Scotiabank's Hockey Day in Canada. And uh, one of the fine voices who will be joining the Sportsnet broadcast and joining the events in Owen Sound on Saturday, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, she'll be there. Uh, she's going to join us today, talk about uh, what's coming up on Hockey Day in Canada this Saturday. But we'll kick the program off like we always do today, heading down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and saying hello to our Flames analyst. He is Peter Labardius. He's brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference, now offering air miles, reward miles. You can visit them at the GeminiGroup.ca. Happy Thursday, Lou. How are you, pal? I'm fine, thank you. Good to hear. Uh, Flames dropped the opener of this four-game homestand and five games before uh, the All-Star break last night against Colorado, and it was uh, an ugly start, and it led to uh, a 4-1 loss. Just uh, give me your thoughts on what you saw last night at the Dome. Well, I just finished a little workout and had an opportunity, actually, as I was doing so, to watch the first half of the game over again. Uh, it didn't look any better knowing what I had already seen. Um, they were flat, but more importantly, I didn't think through the whole course of the night they ever got to their game. They were disconnected. Um, they didn't handle face-off situations very well. Even on goal number two of the night, you know, that whole play starts because you lose Nathan McKinnon coming out of your own offensive zone opportunity 
Um, while the Avs were very sharp and even when the Flames had them in trouble, in most cases, Logan, their board work was good. They were a very connected team and were absolutely full marks for the victory. Yeah, well, it was a terrible start for the Calgary Flames last night. It was a strong start for the Colorado Avalanche. And those starts have been something that we've talked about for a little bit now, Lou. And it's something that Ryan Huska mentioned to you guys uh, post-game last night when you chatted with him as well, hey? It uh, most certainly was. And it's certainly been concerning in the last two games. However, the two games prior to that, that was a real strength for them. Mm-hmm the games in Dallas and the game second game against the St. Louis blues in St. Louis. So it's really, when you have a group like this, you don't really know what to expect from night to night. And that in many ways has, has plagued this group, whether it's collectively as it was last night or individually. And so Thus, there haven't been a lot of closer to 60-minute performances that you're probably enamored with. But last night, for me, was completely different. They just, and, and I've seen it a lot, and we asked Ryan about that too, about, you know, do you really have any explanation for, you know, why a team can come home coming off a long trip and not seem to have a lot of energy? Um, and I've seen it at every single level, and I've witnessed it and experienced it for closing in on 40 years of covering this sport. So um, they just they were not a good hockey team. There were not a lot of redeeming qualities. Uh, the defense had a really difficult time making any plays when they were in position to make some plays last night. Puck support wasn't very good, um, spread out all over the place. So, yes, the start was not good, and it wasn't good in Nashville. So I think that's probably the reason that we're focusing there. But last night, to me, was almost a unicorn in terms of how I have watched this team this season. I would put it in a very, very short list of there wasn't very much to like. And uh, as far as those starts go, I mentioned you chatted with Ryan Husk on the Flames Talk post-game show last night. Here's uh, a bit of Ryan on what he sees about those starts and what goes into it from his team's perspective about being ready for games off the hop. Here's uh, assistant coach Ryan Huska from last night. I mean, that's a preparation thing is really all it comes down to. It's not a, it's not a, physical thing Um, the players are all conditioned they're all ready to go it's a mental thing to make sure that your mind is where it needs to be and that you do your homework throughout the course of the day so that when that puck does drop you're set Um, it doesn't come down to anything more than that and and really at the end of the day with how these guys are conditioned nowadays the battle is often won between the ears and if you aren't set to play the way you need to play to in order to allow our team to have success doesn't work and that was the case tonight I don't think I could even come close to describing it any better than he just did. That that is it in a nutshell. And the thing that you find when your group isn't in the right mindset 
in a game, and it happens, and it's going to happen again before the end of the season for sure. It's just kind of the trials and tribulations of an 82-game season. But when you are not sharp as a group between the ears, that leads to being disconnected. That leads to not handling pressure very well. Uh, Lou, uh, we talked a bit about you know, the response after what was a, a down period. It's something that I asked Daryl Sutter about post-game, and he had uh, an interesting one. Obviously wasn't happy with the, the team response, but had a little interesting, I'll say, anecdote or story at the end, and I'm curious how, how you heard it. Here's what Daryl had to say. Did you like that your team responded in the next 40 minutes no, of the I game? No, I didn't. The greatest coach in the history of the game told me once, sometimes it's better to get beat 9-1. What did you make of that, Lou? Well, first of all, in many ways, and even after re-watching the first half of the game this morning, it felt like 9-1. Um, I think what Daryl is trying to say in that case is that there's if, if you lost that game 9-1, and that's probably in many ways how you played, then there's absolutely no reason for your whole group to feel good about anything so then you really have an opportunity to you know reinforce everything that needs to be reinforced if you know you find a way to come back and they were close to you know getting it to three two and then who knows where it goes from there i i don't i don't know if it can have the same type of reinforcement when that wasn't a one period. Here's how I will put it to you. And, and I think you heard this in the next answer from Daryl, if I remember correctly. He didn't think it was a 20-minute problem. He thought it was a 60-minute problem. And so do I. Yeah, the first was obviously the worst of the three periods, but it's not like at any point last night. I really felt like they were they made life difficult on the Avalanche, if that makes sense, Lou. No, of course it makes it makes completely perfect sense and and, and it what it, it was what it's all about. And I don't know if we have another Ryan Huskett clip, but we've we've talked about, you know, the defense. So one of the questions and Ryan was awesome as he always is in his breakdowns with us, I said, knowing what you were facing against their back end, did you make them play 200 feet of the rink anywhere near enough? I mean, they had an easy night when you look at it. I mean, they're missing their best defenseman tonight in this game, and we had an opportunity to to make it difficult on some guys that tend to not play as many minutes because um, Makar is world-class and he plays almost half a game. Um, and we didn't do that nearly enough. We had a couple shifts where we spent some time in the offensive zone where we thought maybe we'll start to get going here, but too often it was a one-and-done situation where we didn't put enough pressure on them. And a lot of that starts right from our zone out, though, as we talked about. If you're separated and spread apart, your game isn't a fast game, and that's you get the result that we got tonight. That's it. This team is not loaded with speed merchants, but there is nothing that allows you 
to play faster because nothing in the sport still, even Connor McDavid doesn't move faster than the puck can. So this team's at its best when it is connected and you can take pictures in every zone and see five guys in the picture. I know I saw a lot of that in the first half of the game in particular from the other side. And the other thing that Colorado did that was reinforced this morning on another look back is part of understanding, you know, the game and managing it is there were situations, Logan, even in the first period where they could have been in trouble. But in those cases, and, and early in the second, but in those cases, pucks were chipped off the boards and out. They were flipped high in the air and out, off the glass and out. So you can fight another shift. That's really important. How you manage the other group's pressure. And I thought they deserved a lot of credit for how they handled the Flames pressure. And Georgiev was very solid in goal. He didn't have Mm -hmm. to be spectacular, but he was really solid. Last uh, one I want to ask you about is is kind of the, say, the phrase of the night from Daryl Sutter that, was asked to a lot of his players post game and it's it caught the attention of a lot of people post game and that's the term that he used last night, Lou, was they're in a different class than we are. Right? And he said, you know, hey, they've got thirteen guys on the team that won a cup last year. We have one in, in Nazim Kadri there just at a different level and we've gotta learn to to be at that level and get to that class and he understands where they are and what that means for his team going forward. But what did you make of it when you heard him go in that direction and use that kind of terminology for it? I'm, I'm glad you asked. Um, and I know exactly, you know, kind of the situation that he's trying to create. It's really just about him challenging his own group. That's what that's about. Um, if you're asking me how ideal I think that is, I don't know. Um, you know, I heard some of the reaction to it last night. I'm going to guess if I took a poll in that room and if they all heard it, half the guys would be really pissed off and half the guys would go, yeah, he's right. We weren't not even close. So, you know, really in any coaching situation, having a heart, you know, having a feel for your group and what your group really requires in hard times is is critically important. So, in fact, um, tomorrow, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of clips and, and their whole process. I'm not in there. I don't know exactly what goes on, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I'm probably going to work in reverse. So, 
they feel crappy and up today, guaranteed, as it is. I don't need to hammer them again. And if you're not feeling crappy about what happened last night, then you have a bigger problem collectively. Because that, that, that was not an acceptable performance. And we know that as a group, that was one of those nights. So I heard somebody call in and say last night to Pat that, and, and took what I said in the post game when I said, this is one that you kind of throw away. That's not to suggest when I say that, that you don't take note and grow and learn from it. But do I really need to spend half an hour video sessions like showing veteran people of how poor they were last night? I don't know what that does. Because, mm-hmm. again, if you don't know that you played a poor game last night, which was probably about 15 of the 19 guys that played – then, then we need another conversation. And this, and I know this group well enough. That's that's not the case. So they would have left the rank feeling probably borderline embarrassed last night. So, like many things, it's it's not about revisiting the past. It's about how do you respond the next time. And that is, there are certain games we talked about the St. Louis game in many ways as a game you could look to as a blueprint for how you want to play. Last night was in another category that you don't want to see ever again. We'll get a chance to uh, see how they respond Saturday afternoon, Lou. Uh, One o'clock start against the Tampa Bay Lightning, who, uh, in case you forgot, won the two Stanley Cups prior. Haven't forgot. (laughs) To uh, Colorado winning it last year. Um, part of Hockey Day in Canada, we'll uh, get a chance to see what the team looks like after morning skate, and we'll get set for the uh, weekend matchup, and we'll do another edition of What Does Lou Say? And actually, while we were talking there, Lou, uh, one of our winners texted in who won tickets to last night's game, said, didn't love the game, but uh, glad I didn't have to pay for the tickets, had a great night out and a great meal at Roos Chris uh, Steakhouse last night, so that's great to, uh, to hear, and glad that we'll be able to do that again tomorrow. Best prize in local radio. Yes, sir. Couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. Have a great Not afternoon, Lou. Thanks to thanks yeah. to Tim Collins and the outstanding people over at Bruce Chris. Yeah. If you have not been and you want a little treat, you won't leave disappointed. No, absolutely not. You won't leave there leaving like I'm going to guess many of you felt <laughs> leaving the arena last night. Yeah. <laughs> Take care, Lou. We'll talk to you tomorrow on a game, uh, about before a game day, I guess. Bye-bye. See you, Lou. Uh, Pete Labardius, Flames analyst, color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960. Joins us every single day to uh, kick off the program. And he's brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your team, give your home the Gemini difference. So you can visit them at the GeminiGroup.ca. They're now offering air miles, reward miles, And yes, tomorrow we'll take a look at the Flames' next opponent, the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's coming up Saturday afternoon as part of Hockey Day in Canada. And Friday means another edition of What Does Lou Say? 
uh, where you could win a pair of lower bowl tickets and uh, $200 gift card to visit our friends at Roos Chris Steakhouse. All you got to do, head to sportsnet.ca slash 960. Go to the contest tab. You'll see what does Lou say. Ask Lou a question, and for answering it on a Friday, you could be our next winner. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. We'll chat more uh, hockey from around the NHL with Sportsnet's Sam Cosentino. He was on the desk last night breaking it all down, and he also has his 2023 January edition of the NHL Draft Prospect Rankings up at sportsnet.ca. We know who number one is, but who else has made some noise after the World Junior Hockey Championships? We'll ask Cause all about that and more uh, when the program continues next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Logan Gordon along with you. Just finished chatting with Pete Labardius, breaking down the Flames and the Avalanche from last night. Flames falling 4-1. They're back in action on Saturday as part of Hockey Day in Canada. Flames and the Tampa Bay Lightning, but they weren't the only matchup last night. Plenty of other storylines across the league. The Canucks were in action. Had a great game between the Sens and the Penguins. Bruins just keep on winning. And uh, perfect time for us to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and check in with our pal from Sportsnet. Uh, he was on the desk last night, I believe, uh, covering those games. It is Sam Cosentino joining us this afternoon. Sammy, how are you, man? I'm doing great, Logan. I had the first one, so that was nice. And then they uh, they let me go early. Oh, there you go. That works out. nice. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That was a, a great matchup. You got to stick around for at least. Well, uh, power plays, holy geez, unbelievable. The <laughs> Ottawa's power play, you know, ranked sixth in the league coming in, goes four for nine, uh, and really accounts for all the – and covering up some of the mistakes and some questionable goaltending at time with uh, with Cam Talbot. But uh, pretty neat how Kachuk gets it done at the end. But, it, you know, it's it's really a typical Ottawa game where they outshoot the opponent, they look like world beaters, they give up that goal – then they got to chase the game for a little bit, and ultimately they end up giving a, a point away to a team that they're chasing down in the standings here. And we're getting to that critical point in the schedule for Ottawa where, you know, chasing down points and those sorts of things are, are slowly becoming more uh, or less less relevant, to, you know, based on what's happened. And interesting, I saw this on Twitter last night, and I didn't really think about it too much until I'd seen this person tweet it out, Sammy, but... Uh, it's really becoming clear, at least right now, and at this point, uh, Tim Stutzler looks like he's the the biggest prize out of the 2020 NHL draft based on what he's been able to do so far. Yeah, pretty awesome. And I think, you know, with the addition of Norris back in the lineup, that's going to take a little bit of heat off of Timmy as well because, uh, let's face it, he's had to have every single difficult matchup one way or the other. Uh, and and that's that's been challenging. Having said that, he's answered the bell quite well for, for Ottawa. But if you look at the guys taken ahead of him, I think it's uh, it's fair to say that right now with, with Byfield and Lafreniere and, and Timmy going third, that he seems to be the guy. And uh, you know, another good pick by uh, by Pierre Dorian. Yeah, that's uh, that's working out really well for the Senators, and we'll see what the second half of the season has in store for them as they're in a playoff battle with lots of teams in the East. One team that's sitting pretty right now and has been great all year long, uh, Sam, the Boston Bruins. They picked up another win last night, and this group is just coming together in all the right areas. 
35, 5, and 4. Linus Allmark is having an incredible season. Uh, gold differential of plus 75 on the season and just the one regulation loss at home. What do you you look at when you see this Bruins team and the great start of the year, I guess the first half of the year that they've had so far? Well, first of all, you look at the injuries that were all projected to be longer than expected, and then Marshawn comes back and McAvoy's back, and you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, I thought these guys were going to be out a little bit longer, and and as it turns out, they come back, and uh, you know, the rest of the group held the fort until they were able to get back healthy. But I definitely think about that for sure. Uh, but I also think about, you know, there's a select few teams in the league that are in that quote window, and when you have someone like Sidney Crosby, for example, in Pittsburgh, you're in the window. When you have someone like Ovechkin, like Washington, you're in the window. And when you have Pittsburgh with people like Bergeron, and that extends then on the Pasternak, obviously, Kretschy coming back, and and uh, Marchand, of course, you're in the window. And so I think Boston, as good as, as the Bruins have been to this point, I still think they have something left in terms of an acquisition. Um, and I would say that although it's going to be probably the 32nd pick in the first round, I would say that Boston would be willing to move on that, uh, and there will probably be a taker at that point. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But as good as they are, um, and being in that window, I, I think they do still have a piece to add. Uh, a pretty cool milestone for Steven Stamkos last night as he has a hat trick, and in part, Sammy scores his 500th career goal. I believe he's the 11th NHLer who was selected first overall to go on to score 500 or more goals in their career and look there's been some up times and there's been some down times for Steven Stamkos in his time in Tampa Bay but uh what a tremendous accomplishment for a guy that's given everything to that organization yeah and it you know obviously solidifies and verifies that they were right in making the selection that they did with the first overall pick back in you know I think it was 08 and so um, aside from that from what I got to know of him at that time was an unbelievable character uh person so not only are you getting the guy who was producing like a first overall should, but you're getting an unbelievable person. And when it comes to Stamkos, you can't help but think the injuries and think that, you know, not to say that you're going to remain in perfect health throughout the course of your career, but even if you cut his injuries in half, let's say, it probably adds another close to a full season onto his career. And what would that mean? Another 50 goals? Yeah, maybe. And so are we in the 600 conversation uh, with Stamkos, and had he had the luck of close to perfect health, maybe we were in a conversation that extends beyond 600 and into the 700 range. Oh, was it crazy to think back to on a time uh, not all that long ago, Sam, where I remember he was, you know, flirting with free agency, and we wondered if Steven Stamkos was long for Tampa Bay. And of course, when you're an Ontario native, people obviously think about the pull of perhaps coming back and playing for a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs and how different things would be if he didn't stick it through with Tampa Bay. I think at that time, I think that that lifestyle is comfortable. It's not a far cry from, from where his family is, just north of Toronto, to hop on a flight to get down there. Mm-hmm. And I think that any player in that situation has to at least test the waters. I don't know if I believe that there was ever a point where him not going back to Tampa was in peril. But I think, you know, it's nice to have some suitors. It's nice to see what's out there. Uh, and I appreciate someone who says, you know what, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And, of course, he comes back. He's got the two cups. Uh, pretty pretty cool story. And I'm always a big fan of someone who spends their entire career with one team. I don't know if that's going to happen for Steven, but it sure looks that way right now. 
uh, and that is such a rarity in today's game. On the other side of that Tampa game last night was uh, the Vancouver Canucks, Sammy. And before we get to what their year has been like and hearing everything from Jim Rutherford, uh, a great ceremony before the game to honor the life and career of, of Gino Ojic and his passing earlier this week. What do you think of when you uh, remember Gino and his time in the NHL? Well, I just uh, I think you uh, you think about someone who quite obviously was a good teammate. I didn't know Gino, but. You could uh, tell, I think, that when you watch the play, that he was a popular player amongst the fans. And typically that means you're a good teammate, of course, when you see the pictures with Pavel Burry and how he kind of helped Pavel in, a, in what was a difficult time. And maybe there was a common bond there. I mean, Russian players at that time were still relatively new uh, to the game. And, of course, someone from uh, First Nations community, uh, we know the struggles that have happened with, with that community. And maybe they found a common bond and some uh, some, some common ground there and wish to help them to bond. Uh, but it's nice to see that someone who maybe didn't have the impact of, you know, being a 500 goal guy was beloved as Gino was. And, and I really appreciate the fact that he was celebrated by fans and, and former teammates alike. Uh, from the Canucks point of view this season, it's, it's been a disaster. I don't think that anything's gone in, in any positive way, shape or form, maybe outside of the play of, of Andre Kuzmenko, who's come over in year one in the NHL and had a lot of success personally, Sammy. What do you make of, of everything that's gone on in Vancouver? The comments with, you know, Jim Rutherford and Bruce Boudreau. There's just, there's a thousand different things to talk about. And like I said, none of them are really all that positive right now. I don't think there's soap operas out there that are as good as what we've seen <laughs> this year from, you know, the, the young and the restless. Like, I've said it. I've I've gone on record and said before we we kind of did a little spoof on, you know, what uh, a good Christmas gift would be for each team. And I said, well, Martin Scorsese would be the perfect gift for this drama because <laughs> who else could who else could bring home an Oscar-winning performance? Yeah. Uh, it's just it's been crazy, uh, and I, I've never seen anything like it at all. I think there's a little bit uh, of inhumanity that has gone on there in terms of the treatment of Bruce Boudreau. Um, and the, I, I think the big thing we just don't know is what is the dynamic like between Jim Rutherford, the president, and, and the Aquilines? What does that dynamic look like? Because if I look at some decisions that have been made, um, it almost seems like they're working against each other as opposed to uh, working together. Uh, but I just don't see how you can basically come out and say, yeah, we're, we continue to look for a coach. Um, but you just... Keep go go get him, buddy. Like keep going. Yeah, and we'll we'll let you know when that change is made. And good on on Bruce Boudreau, who I'm, I'm guessing at this point probably doesn't need the money. Um, but I don't know if I'm in this situation, it'd be pretty tough for me to sit there and not say, "Go poop in your hat. I'm out of here. See you later." Yeah, it feels like at times that this Canucks management group is sort of daring him to quit, and you know, trying to find a reason for him to to push his own exit out there and. I got a lot of respect for the guy to to stick through it and to you know what you know in a sense you're right there Sam I kind of like that he's kind of sitting there and and saying hey look you guys made your bed and I don't care what your decision's going to be I'm going to stick it through it until you tell me it's not there and you can pay me out for the rest of the season if you want to bring somebody else in. Yeah, it's 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 kind of weird how the, how that's played itself out and if the end game was to get somebody to quit, well, and Bruce knows that. You just pull up your rocking chair because he ain't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and if you want to make that move, go ahead and make that move. Now, he sees in a 
precarious position. Uh, Vancouver, rather, is in a precarious position, especially when you look at who the first overall pick is going to be. Yes. So, you know, if if your goal is to go out and get that guy, uh, then leave Bruce Boudreau alone. Let him do his thing. If you feel he's that poor a coach, then he's going to guide you in the direction you want to go anyways. Yeah. Um, so I, I just don't like the way that that whole situation has been handled. I, I don't believe anyone uh, should be treated that way, whether it's in our business, a lawyer, doctor, whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone should be treated that way. Um, mentioned Andre Kuzmenko. I'm not sure how much you've caught of him this year, Sammy, but he's had a pretty good season. His first coming over from Russia, 39 points in 43 games. They're starting to talk extension, uh, but you know as well as anybody, you know, talking about that transition from coming over from the K or from any team overseas and having the sort of year that he's had in year one, it's been a pretty impressive transition for Kuzmenko. Yeah, it sure has. It's not quite to the extent, but it looks a little bit like uh, Kaprizov when he came over you know, with Minnesota and wowed everybody with his ability to transition to the to the North American game that easily. Uh, it shouldn't be that easy no. for somehow, some reason. And sometimes, you know, age and maturity has a lot to do with that. Your ability to adapt and adjust becomes easier with more experience, regardless of where that experience is derived. Uh, but it's been it's been pretty neat. Now, you know, the cautionary tale is what does an extension look like? Um, you know, in, in in terms of length. And, you know, is that something that you want to continue forward with? Is this a one-hit wonder, or is this something that you think is sustainable? And, I mean, the one thing you can say about Jim Rutherford, he's had a pretty good handle on, on his talent in, in past stops in the National Hockey League, and I don't expect that is any different now. And I'm sure he's been able to assess the situation and offer what he would deem uh, a fair extension for someone uh, of Kuzmenko's age and, and talent level to this point. Uh, chatting with Sportsnet Sam Cosentino here on Sportsnet today. Just a couple more for you, Sam, and I uh, did want to get to your uh, January edition of the prospect rankings that you got up at Sportsnet.ca. But uh, before we go there, I'd love to get your your thoughts on what we're seeing here in Calgary, and obviously the mood uh, not jovial here following uh, a tough one against Colorado last night. But this Flames team just hasn't transitioned from. Goudreau and Kachuk to Huberto, Kadri, Uyghur, etc. as quickly as maybe some would have hoped and uh, it's led to some frustration in the market. And I can see why because I had much, much higher hopes for, for this club at this point. Now they've been hanging around the fringes. Uh, you know, obviously goaltending hasn't been to the standard as it was last year. That's been a huge sticking point. I think the new guys that have come in, it's been a little bit of culture shock in terms of how comfortable they were in the place that they were coming from. Um, and then moving into, you know, a Daryl Sutter system where things are frank and honest and upfront and, and, and like it or leave it type of type of scenario. I don't think they were exposed to that in their previous stop in, in Florida. So that adjustment has taken longer than I uh, would have expected. I think Kadri has done kind of what Kadri does. Um, I think there's still a little bit more grease to give in his game. Uh, but overall, it's been it's it's kind of frustrating to be honest with you. You get in there and you say, "All right, first goal given up what six seventeen into the game last night." There was a stretch there where, you know, the first goal had been given up in the first shot, um, four out of five games. Um, the inability to score at the same level as last year somewhat understandable when you take away the production of Goodrow and and Kachuk. But you also think that you're mitigating that loss when you add three players. Um, one in the back and the two guys up front, uh, you thought that that loss might be mitigated to a certain extent, and that really hasn't happened either. So 
you're, you're, you're pushing away from both edges, whereas you're not scoring as much and you're not saving as much. And that difference has proven to be not fatal at this point, but proven to be, uh, you know, the, the characteristics of a team sitting in the middle of the pack. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a tough spot to be when expectations are high and there's contracts that are coming up and extensions that are on the books. It's, uh, it's an interesting time right now, and the Flames will continue their uh, their homestand here before the All-Star break with Tampa Bay coming in on Saturday. And uh, did want to get to this as well, Sam. You uh, you had your uh, latest up at sports.ca yesterday, your January edition of the 2023 NHL Draft uh, Prospect Rankings. and. Uh, as somebody that was in a crowded press box in Calgary last night because there might be uh, one or two scouts uh, around for some meetings, it's certainly one of the more interesting times of the year, the midseason scouting meetings happening all around the league, Calgary in the midst of theirs right now, and uh, we had to scoot some chairs over, fit all the guys in, and have those uh, those regular visits. You know this time of year is as interesting for for any team as they meet and catch up and get set for the second half of their their scouting assignments in the season. Yeah, and it's it's that time of year. It's just so busy with everything that's uh, that's going on in terms of where we are in the scouting calendar. And you know, Calgary a perfect pit stop to get to Vancouver for next week's CHL NHL top prospects game. Which, uh, man, you know, based on the rosters alone, should be a real doozy. And and hopefully it it finds a you know competitive level in terms of the physical play that that matches the skill. And we might be in for one of the best games we've ever seen. So. Um, you know the situation for Calgary, not a not a ton of picks uh, there, but I think when it comes to the Flames overall, I think you have to look at what's happening in the here and now and, and address that, and think that if there is a move to be made, that you know that it can be done. If draft capital has to be a part of that, I think Calgary's probably not necessarily in the window with a couple of guys that are in there long term, but um, you know you, I think you'd like to see it sooner than later just based on the expectations of the fan base alone. So it's a fascinating scenario that they're in right now in terms of what the draft has to offer. I love the depth of it and I love the depth of it to a great extent. I think when looking at it, you know, a lot of skilled forwards that are coming in all different shapes and sizes, but also I look at some defensemen are really starting to emerge here uh, from the new year on. And we saw a couple of them at the world juniors. Yeah, and talk to me about uh, some of the guys there that stood out for you. And it's interesting to, to say this because I don't think anyone's surprised that, that Connor Bedard's at the top of your list, but maybe a reason that he's at the top of the list is something that I chatted with, with Lou about, our good pal Peter Labardius about, and that's this before this World Junior, Sammy, and it's something you mentioned in the article, 17-year-olds don't do what he did at the tournament very often. And for people watching and scouting Connor Bedard, that's got to be as good of an indicator as anybody when you're looking at, you know, what this guy is going to bring at the next level to be able to do that at age 17. It, it is, it is truly amazing. And anything world junior wise, I obviously defer to Pete. There is no better person in the country when it comes to his recollection of Canada's teams past and present. Um, and not just, for the under-20 age group, but the under-18s and the under-17s, there's nobody. And I guess the 16s, for that matter, although Pete's probably heading to a peewee game tonight <laughs> yeah. to, get a, to get a head start in the 2028 draft. Uh, but anyway, uh, having said that, um, what like in terms of Bedard dominating it, really interesting. But in terms of the reliance of first-year draft-eligible players by a number of countries 
on, on that age group was really, really exciting for me. And I think it speaks to the level of talent that this draft class has as a whole. I think about Dalibor Dvorsky for Slovakia being out there in a bunch of key situations in overtime, last minute of the period. Leo Carlson and Axel Sandin Pelika started the overtime in the bronze medal game. I mean, who, who would have ever have thought that? Yeah. Um, I think about Max Serbak. Um, I think about Edward Schale, who was absolutely brilliant for the Czech. So there was a lot of different first-year draft eligible players that had significant impact and played in high leverage minutes for their respective countries. And that never happens. And of course, we know one thing that's never happened before, and that's the performance of, uh, of Connor Bedard. Uh, in your ranking, Sammy, anybody that, that really took a, a big jump up for you as you were preparing the, the January edition? I've been doing a lot of work on David Reinbacher of Austria, and, and you can't look at the stats there and, and be wowed by what happened at the World Juniors. Having said that, he was over overmatched on the team that he was on. He was overplayed in terms of his minutes, and, and he was sick to boot. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I give him a hall pass for what happened uh, at the World Juniors. But playing for Cloten in the Swiss League, and being a first power play guy, being on the PK, playing, you know, upwards of 22 minutes a game there, that's the impressive stuff and having a lot of success doing it. So he's probably a guy for me that was brought onto the radar in, in December, was towards the end of my list and has moved up now into the top 15. And now there's a lot of conversation about him being the first guy, uh, the first defenseman off the board once we get to Nashville. Uh, and I wanted to ask you before I let you go about Adam Fintilli, uh, the top rated prospect, similar to Connor Bedard. And, you know, obviously a Canadian, but went about his business in a different way, was asked to do different things at the World Juniors and uh, performed them admirably and I think did himself a lot of good when it came to uh, scouting and people taking a look at potentially drafting Fantilli. Super, super impressed. I mean, imagine going from being a top freshman scorer in the nation in the States and the NCAA level to being asked to be put out of position and to play you know, bottom six minutes, that would be a real difficult for cha- uh, challenge for anyone to handle. And he handled it with no problem. And, you know, I talked to Adam a couple times there. He always had a smile on his face. I saw him the other night at the BioSteel game. He was there on an off night in Michigan's program to go see his old buddies from the Chicago Steel. And, like, couldn't have been happier. Just, just bouncing around the rink. So really impressed with his ability to adapt and adjust. And while a lot of people might have thinking it was a step back for him at the tournament because – he played limited minutes, um, and because you know maybe the points weren't anywhere near what Bedard's were, I think he actually took a step forward and showed people that he could adapt. And I think that's such a huge thing when going into the National Hockey League. It, it's rare that you see someone jump right into the spot that they're uh, playing um, in at the junior level and go in and be that successful right away. And so for Adam, I think he proved to a lot of people that he doesn't have to be that guy right away. He's skilled enough eventually to get there but he doesn't have to be that guy right away. And I was super, super impressed with that ability to adjust, uh, adjust and adapt. Uh, you can find Sam's latest uh, rankings, the 2023 January edition of the NHL Draft Prospect Rankings, up now at sportsnet.ca. Sammy, thanks for the time, as always, sir. Always love catching up with you. Uh, hope you're doing well, and we'll do this again soon, hey? Yeah, nice. Uh, keep up the good work, guys. I got a chance to listen to, you, listen to you on the way home last night, so that was pretty cool. Cheers. Take care, Sammy. Appreciate you. Take care. There you go. Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Once again, uh, analyst for Sportsnet. You find him on uh, Sportsnet broadcasts, uh, doing NHL games most of the week. He was on last night for Tampa, uh, for excuse me, for Pittsburgh and the Ottawa Senators. 
Uh, it was a great game that went to overtime, and of course, uh, one of the draft gurus when it comes to NHL prospects. And uh, if you're looking ahead to uh, what's coming up in the draft, maybe past Connor Bedard, or you want to get an update on some of your favorite players that you were watching at the World Juniors, you can head to sportsnet.ca, and Sam's got his January edition of the draft prospect rankings there. Uh, that'll wrap up hour one. We'll kick off hour two next. Go back to the Scotiabank Saddledome from last night. Hear from head coach Daryl Sutter and a couple members of the Calgary Flames following their loss to the Colorado Avalanche. Plus, this weekend, Hockey Day in Canada is coming up on Saturday. One of the main uh, faces that's going to be in Owen Sound, along with Ron McLean and others, Cassie Campbell-Pascal. She'll join us uh, to talk about Hockey Day in Canada and more. And uh, that's coming up in hour two right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.